money. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm great. We, we I thought we had some guests. They I know. Opening, you were... <laughs> they opened the door, looked in, and said, ay yeah, yeah, yeah." Well, you roped her in. She was probably trying to get a signature from you or Mary Hop trying to get a signature, and you're like, come on in, sit hey, down. When, it, when, when the song plays, you got to be ready. She was running for the hills. Hey, everybody, we got a great show for you. Uh, some great news. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 12 and 13, so be sure to stick around. Don't go anywhere. I promise. Don't leave like Mary Hop did. Here we go. (laughs) Welcome in. Welcome in. Man, do we have a show for you. First of all, we have to do a a show that's a little uh, um, uh, uh, shorter than our normal show. That's right. Uh, At least that's what we say we have to do, but Steve's got to be out of here in the next 45 minutes or so. Um, And so anyway, that means we've got to move. And so, Steve, how are you doing, okay? I am doing fantastic, Chris, but I have some news that last night that saddened me and also made me rejoice. One of our seven listeners is with the Lord. Amazing. And that's not a joke. I mean, that's real. That's true. Uh, he was one of our listeners. Chris, his daughter Beth told me that he listened to Jew and Gentle podcasts <laughs> while he was in the shower. Well, and he listened the whole hour in the shower. <laughs> Oh man, you know that's gonna him being with the Lord is really gonna ruin our uh, our stats on YouTube now. We, you know what I we mean? We lost we lost over ten percent <laughs> of our listening audience. George, you left us. I know, but he's in a better place right he's now. He's in with a the Lord. much better place. George Carrera, just a great guy. He's with his wife Rose. His daughter Beth called me, and uh, I'll be actually doing a memorial service next April. Uh, it's just an honor to be asked. I had the opportunity, his sister, uh, Dora, uh, I had the service for that when I was living in Chicago. She went to Israel with my son and myself a lot when Sam was 15 years old. So mm. that was a long time ago. And uh, I was at a meeting uh, in Pennsylvania when George called me up and said, you're my third choice to do a funeral. Oh, George, what? his son got electrocuted. Ron got electrocuted. Mm. And he said, I had a first choice. He turned me down. I had a second choice. He turned me oh, I turned to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always laughed about that. But uh, George was just a great guy. And the whole career of family uh, has been real special to me. I mean, When I first moved to Chicago, the matriarch of the house, Mrs. Carrera, she had eight children. Uh, George was one of them. Uh, and they were all at the house of one of the first times I spoke. And uh, there was commotion going on. I even wrote about this in Israel, My Glory, and in the book. I put it in my book a long time ago. Uh, there was commotion, and they said, Ma, you can't do that. Mom, you can't do that. You know, the table's real long. There's like 30 people at this table. And I said, well, what, what? And they said, my mother wants you to eat pig's feet. <laughs> and she said, they said, he's Jewish. He's not going to eat pig's feet. So they're all, you know, looking down. I'm at the end of the table. I said, Send it on down. <laughs> so they're all looking at me, and these jiggly, you know, pig's feet are, they were jiggly I, from the whatever. It, I don't know. It's a Mexican thing. Is it like a filter fish of pig's feet or something? I, I don't know. Pig, a Jewish guy. So they want to see the Jewish guy eat pig. Uh, it's yeah. no big deal. Most of our people, well, that's what we do. Yeah, they we either shouldn't. do it out in the open or in, or that, in that, private. That's right. So I, ha- so I ate it, and they went, <gasps> Like that, and you know, it wasn't in that particular. I like certain uh, pork things, but it was all right. 
But boy, did it! Oh, that was big news. That, that was... is big news. Well, and you know, I you were telling me how Beth, his daughter, uh, said how much he enjoyed listening to the Jew and Gentile podcast. That's right. So and uh, and her husband, she said, the two men in my life listen to the Jew and the Gentile. She said, you're actually not the person. I I have another podcast I listen to, but <laughs> but but. As long as my dad did and my husband, so at least that's two people. I said, now we lost one, so we're down. Well, you know, that means there's an opening for the... That's right. If you want to be one of our seven listeners, get in line and uh, off you go. What a faithful listener, though. I loved hearing how he would listen in the shower all the time, and uh, apparently he enjoyed doing, you know, a lot of things. Well, just according to his daughter, he couldn't get in the shower enough. He ate a sandwich in there, his Dr. Pepper, he drank in there. That's my... I, I was wondering if he's camping in the shower. That's my kind of guy. Well, I'm glad he listened to the Jew and Gentile podcast, but even more importantly, um, we send our condolences to the family, but at the same time, thankful that he's with the Lord right now. Exactly. They are thankful. They are so grateful. And, you know, they. it's just a, a wonderful thing to know about the blessed hope, mm. isn't it? I mean, we're all going to die, or some of us maybe hopefully will be raptured, but otherwise we go the way of all flesh. That's right. And if you go... Where you going? Mm-hmm. That's the question. George had a particular uh, fondness of youth camps. Uh, I've, I was up at that camp in Wisconsin that he went up for a number of years. Uh, and reaching the next generation with the gospel is what the prerequisite of the, of the generation in power. Yep. And so you want to keep reaching. Youth work is important. And George loved Friends of Israel as well. And he loved the Jew and the Gentile podcast. So now we got to recruit another faithful guy. That's right. Exactly. Let us know if you want to fill George's spot. But that's that's a big spot to fill. It's a big spot. Thank you, George. Okay. So, um, Steve, we've got uh, some interesting things from Did Jew Know. Did Jew Know, Chris. Once again, we salute Emily Stone. We're thankful for you. And one of our news items is going to be actually relating to the movie slash play Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, That's right. And Fiddler on the Roof is well known, but uh, Emily wrote about it, and the title in the chapter is called As the Good Book Says. Uh, And actually, she gives a quiz on Fiddler on the Roof. We're not going to take that quiz. Maybe we'll do that some other time. But here's what she writes. Fiddler on the Roof was the first musical to have the distinction of surpassing 3,000 performances and the only musical to be solely about Jews. And it, it became a hit. Amazing. Yeah. It's about Jews, and it became a hit. <laughs> What's more, she says, it was the longest-running Broadway musical until Grease showed up on the scene, and Danny and Sandy surpassed Zeidel and Muddle. I love that. <laughs> Fiddler, Fiddler, fun fact. While the movie version of Fiddler on the Roof became an instant Jewish classic, it was directed by a, as she calls him, Jewy, J-E-W-Y, Jewy-sounding non-Jew by the name of Norman Jewison, <laughs> J-E-W-I-S-O-N. You so can't write this. You uh, this can't is like make a, this, this is a comedy. Up. This is so a comedy. So the director of the only Jewish uh, Broadway. musical Broadway hit was directed by a Jewy kind of guy. A who's, Gentile. Who's not Jewish. His name is Norman Jewison. 
<laughs> That's where I said, when you were telling me this, I said, wait, his last name's Jewison, but he's a Gentile? And Correct. he's directing Fiddler on the Roof. And Emily finds it in Did You Know? Uh, no, I, I got to admit, amazing. I didn't know. I think that's amazing. You know, um, th- it just goes to show maybe he had a love for the Jewish people. Um, maybe he should have done a DNA test. I like Jewison, is that a dead So, giveaway? Chris, you're a Gentile. Are you feeling kind of Jewy? Yeah, that, I think I have a Jewy heart. I, I think you have a Jewy heart. I like it. I, you know, a, when we talk to people uh, about the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all, we we talk uh, about um, being Jewish. We talk about having a kosher heart, hmm. or Chris, even a circumcised heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord does it. Uh, in fact, you know, the Lord, I'm reminded in the Gospels, Jesus in John 3 was talking to Nicodemus, and he got kind of, he didn't get angry at him, but he kind of rebuked him. And I don't know if it, I don't, you know, when you read it, it's not the same as hearing it, but I wonder if he said something like this. Hey, Nick. <laughs> Probably called him Nick yeah. for short, right? <laughs> hey, Nick, uh, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know what it means to be born again? Have you read the Torah? Yeah, exactly. You know, Moshe. Mo- Moshe talked about a circumcised heart. Uh, ha- have you heard of the prophet Jeremiah? He talked about a circumcised heart. Well, who, who could do surgery except for God? And, you know, I- I've talked to Jewish people. You probably have too, Chris. Uh, open heart surgery is something that's pretty common today. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't in those days. And circumcision, the moment any Jewish person hears circumcision, they're going, whoa, 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 yep. whoa especially if you're if you're a guy. Whoa, I went through that already. Thank God I don't remember. Why? There's shedding of blood. There's cutting. Mm-hmm. Who does the surgery? Long before the term born again came, God had to do spiritual surgery on the heart. You had to be born from above. Only God can do that. And uh, well, that's why Nicodemus even said, so wait, am I supposed to go back inside? I'm not doing that. You yeah. know, it, it was racking his to, brain. Look, I, without disrespect to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a hundred percent man. So it's two Jewish guys talking Turkey here. Yeah. You should have, Hey, you should be born from above, born from above. What do you mean? Born from above. You don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, wouldn't it be interesting to hear them talking? I mean, just just chewing the fat at night. It's dark. Two teachers of Israel, two teachers, one obviously way superior than the other, but two teachers in Israel going back and forth. We, you know, we see rabbis today go back and forth mm-hmm. and, and, and chew the fat. Hey, Chris, you and I do. We're not two rabbis, but we go back and oh, forth. All day long. You know, uh, it, which brings me to equip, Chris. Well, that's, I was going to, I want to say. segue to e- really equip. Really quick. So just a fresh reminder, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip, um, where you can learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. It's all free. Go to FOI. Wait, wait, wait. Free, free, free. Free, 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 free. FOI Equip. Go to FOIEquip.org and be sure to register for Messianic Prophecies, taught by Tom Simcox. He's doing a fantastic job. He taught his first lesson on March 9th, um, and I hope that you go to YouTube to watch last week's message. But tomorrow, he'll be doing his second message on Messianic Prophecies. And then finally, uh, you can watch it again, uh, uh, the third session on the 23rd. But he's got three. He's already got one down. He's got two to go. He's doing a fantastic job. Uh, And then after Tom's class, uh, you can join Ty Perry for a one-night class on Holocaust remembrance. 
Uh, that's April 13th, so be sure to go to foiequip.org. You can register, and again, they're free, 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 free. Steve, I just wanted to say I'm watching The Chosen right now with my daughter, and um, you know, there's a lot of extra biblical stuff. They take a lot of liberty, and uh, I understand, you know, you got to make it entertaining. But I notice what they do in The Chosen. They make all these, you know, they do all this add-on stuff, but all of it is designed to get you to the account that matters biblically. Like, so you have all these people talking and meeting and all these, you know, events that are not in the Bible. And I always tell my kids when I'm watching, this is why you need to read the Bible so you know what is biblical and not. But one of the scenes that it builds to, because everything is building to a biblical scene as I'm watching this chosen. And uh, the one that really stood out to me, I teared up when I watched it, was when Nicodemus and Jesus met and they, they were sitting at a table with one another and Nicodemus was just overwhelmed with Jesus, you know, in, in the, in the show. But like you said, you know, you want to know what it's like that these two Jewish men were sitting down rapping with one another about these things. And there, you know, it, it brought tears to my eyes to think of, you know, that moment. And it, they depicted it very well. Again, I understand if some people are going to write in or whatever and say, it's not biblical. I understand it's a, it's a show. Uh, but I love how they develop the story to get you to the biblical story of what they, the one moment in maybe every show, there's the one moment that stands out. So. The key is, do they get the text right when they get there? The, the Any art form is designed to get you someplace, to get you to think. So uh, I, I know people who are pro-chosen and who are negative-chosen. Oh, yeah. yep. Zygazun, you know, whatever, whatever you want. But to me, it's that you were able to talk to your kids about spiritual thing. Oh, yeah. That's the key. That's the That's key. That's the key. And, and so write in, let us know what you think about that, of course. Oh, I'm we'll sure. hear about I it. I know. We, well, we... George isn't here, so that's one less person that's writing in. <laughs> <laughs> but he's in heaven right now saying, I already know. I already know the answer. That's right. All right. Well, listen, everybody, we are in Revelation um, chapter 12. We're wrapping up chapter 12 and moving into chapter 13. Steve, I'm going to pick up here in verse 10 of chapter 12, where it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have, uh, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Messiah. For the accusers of our brothers and sisters who accused them before our God day and night, who has been hurled down, they triumphed over him. But the blood of the Lamb and the word of, uh, of their testimony, they did, not, uh, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the sea, or to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. I want to stop there for a moment, Steve, because the devil is the picture here hurled down to earth and he is moving about the earth, which I think is actually very biblical according to what the New Testament talks about with Satan and his influence today in the world. Well, you know, uh, there's a, a difference of opinion amongst evangelicals concerning the whole book of Revelation and when it is and, and all that, but it's very clear here that, at, at least to me, that once the seals are unleashed, it's the, it's the wrath of God, right? Mm -hmm. the, he, the Lamb of God is breaking the seals. But what's about to take place uh, from here is the great wrath of Satan. So you talk about whammies. You've got the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fulfilling his program and plan, and he is unleashing and has unleashed his wrath upon his people. 
And part of that wrath encompasses the releasing of Satan, who himself is going to unleash his wrath upon them. Mm -hmm. So if you're living in this period of time, it's certainly overall scope is God's wrath. But a subplot going on is when that wrath is unleashed, he is unleashing and allowing Satan to unleash his wrath. And you talk about anti-Semitism from him. It's going to be dramatic. Which is what we're going to see in a moment. And, you know, Steve, that's not an uncommon way in how God used judgment in the Old Testament, too. When you think about how God, Israel sinned in the Old Testament, uh, the northern ten tribes, and so God brought the Assyrians against them. But then what happened was the Assyrians went too far, and so God judged the Assyrians. So the very tool that God was using to judge is the very same tool that God then turned around and judged. Same thing with the Babylonians. And so, you know, there were the Babylonians were called to do the job of judging Israel for their sin, but then God and turned then around. They got it. Then they, they got it too. They yep. turned around and were judged. But did by you it. notice uh, what it said here um, where the, it talked about uh, the word of their testimony and they did not like, love their lives to the death? Mm-hmm. Chris. We don't, I know you and I, we have talked about it, but we don't talk about it enough. We're in America. Uh, we're in a place that, for me, a rough day is when my ice maker doesn't work. You know, I say, woe is me. I got to go find a different, I don't get my automatic ice cubes. Yep. And I say that in a facetious way. But the fact is, today, there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are suffering. They are suffering. They're branded, literally mm-hmm. branded. They're enslaved. They're even killed. Mm-hmm. There are martyrs. And um, signing up as a believer, uh, you're signing up, you're giving your life to Christ. And if you are, if you truly are giving your life to Christ, you don't know what he's going to demand of you later on. And certainly in this period of time, almost all people who will give their lives to Christ will die as mar- martyrs. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's the way it is. And that's the whole point, too, of how uh, I think a lot of early Christians saw their lives. You know, I was uh, I went to an event in New York City, and it was actually an event um, that looked at uh, anti-Semitism in the Middle East. Uh, and it talked about the fact that uh, people don't—they were mentioning how people don't talk about the nearly million Jewish people who were forcibly pushed from their homes after Israel became a nation in 1948. All of those Jewish people living in Arab lands— they were forcibly removed from their home by— And their stuff taken. And their stuff taken from Libya, from Iran, from, Ira- from 850, Iraq. 850,000 of them. That's exactly right. And the reason you don't hear about them is because they migrated immediately to the Jewish state and were welcomed, and Israel doubled its population in like three months or three years, which was just out of control. But all that to say, you know, the, the, it was really beautiful how they did this conference because it started off talking about those stories— and it had individuals whose parents were forced out, Iraqi Jews who were, you know, forced out to move to Israel. Um, but then it also had Egyptian Christians, because they tied in Jewish persecution in the Middle East with Christian persecution. And I listened to this Coptic Christian from Egypt who was talking about in their Sunday school, it's incredibly common for the Sunday school teacher to look at the kids in their face and say, there's a good chance that you might be a martyr for the faith. Isn't that something? And you just sit there and you think to yourself, oh, I don't remember having that conversation in Sunday school growing up. I don't remember having that. That You know, we learned about martyrs, but for uh, a Sunday school teacher to look directly at you and say, 
you could be martyred for your faith living here was just, you know, you don't think about it in those terms. But here is the same thing, that they thought their lives less, it was better for them to die than it was to live, which is exactly what Paul had to wrestle with as well. So uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's, that's extremely important. We live, and look, I'm glad to sign up for, we had no control, but we are born here. Chris, you were born here. I was born here. There are people in Sunday school, kids in Sunday school, who the class is suffering. Mm-hmm. Just making their, when their parents make them go to Sunday school, <laughs> that's the suffering. That's the suffering. That's and right. Because there's no clue as to what it is we, the cost what we of have. what we have mm-hmm. in Christ. And it's not, it's very interesting that when it's difficult, that's when the church has grown the most. Yeah. Because they understand, wait a minute, this, this is, this is not just life here. It's eternal life. I have eternal life in Christ. They're enemies of the gospel. They're enemies of the gospel. As enemies of the gospel, it's satanic. And the only thing they can take is my life. But even if they do, I'm absent from the body, present with them. I'd gladly. That's what you hear from martyrs. And they because they they have the concept whatever bad is down here, I'm I'm just passing through. And sometimes Chris, because we have so much and because we're in a very comfortable situation, we cling we cling to this thinking this is the best. Yeah. Uh, when in reality, it could be good uh from a human standpoint. But it's nothing in comp- that can possibly compare to what we'll have. You know, there's a um, a, a statistic that uh, I I heard when I was in Israel for the uh, Christian Media Summit. It was from the guy who he something somebody who who works at Christianity Today was speaking about the growth of the evangelical church and how in the early 19 uh, 1900s the the majority of evangelicals lived in the, in North America and Europe, and then all of a sudden. Within the past hundred years, we make up a small majority of evangelicals, something like uh, you know twenty five percent. It used to be eighty percent a hundred years ago. Today we're like twenty twenty five percent, but the rest of the believers globally are in China. They're in South America, where they're coming to faith in numbers, and those aren't easy places, especially China and communist China. The church is growing under the pressure uh, of of what it. To even be a Christian. And so, you know, you think about that impact globally, how where, like you were talking about, where the pressures are, are actually where the church is growing. There's actually some countries sending missionaries here to this country. There are. Yep. Yes. It's it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, Steve, the, the, in the next segment, it says this, uh, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. That's Israel. If you remember from last week, we talked about who the woman is, who the child is. The woman who gave birth was Israel. The child, of course, was the Messiah, Jesus. And what was he pursuing him for? He wasn't, uh, this wasn't to go on a date. No, this was to kill him. That's right. That's right. And you can learn more about that by actually going back and listening to last week's podcast if you want to. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, time, and half a times out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and to sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. 
Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. You know, this is where we kind of get the image, too, of anti-Semitism, because here's the woman, Israel, and Satan continues, even though he wasn't able to get the Messiah, he continues to attack the Jewish people. He continues to chase the Jewish people, and so you have this picture of a continual form of anti-Semitism, which is kind of what we're seeing today. 60% of hate crimes in the United States, in the United States, where I'm sure Jewish people feel the, the safest in the world, uh, is, uh, is 60% of hate crimes are committed toward Jewish people. Again, the picture that Satan is constantly chasing after God's chosen people in order to eradicate them, a picture there that you see here in Revelation. Chris, whatever God loves, Satan hates. Mm -hmm. Whatever he loves. So does he love the Jewish people? Absolutely. They're the chosen people. We read about that in the Torah. Does he love the church? Well, he sent his son. Uh, he sent his son to die for the whole world. So uh, certainly the church is going to be attacked by Satan. And here we're like midpoint in the book. The story, we already know the end of the story, and Satan wants to prevent the end of the story. It's a losing battle, but he wants to prevent it. And so if he could wipe out the Jews, we a couple weeks ago celebrated Purim, maybe last week uh, it was. And what was it? Haman wanting to wipe us all out. Uh, Passover, uh, Pharaoh wipe, trying to wipe us out. Mm -hmm. Hitler trying to wipe us out. All rooted in anti-Semitism, which is rooted in Satan himself. John Walvert says this, Steve, probably the flood that Satan was bringing, that, uh, that uh, the, it says the earth swallowed up the, the woman to bring safety because Satan had released a flood. It says probably the flood represents Satan's efforts to exterminate Israel. And so again, there's that imagery of anti-Semitism, not only today, but anti-Semitism, Steve, in the, in the tribulation period as well, the time of Jacob's trouble. Terrible period of time, Chris, and Satan himself is going to raise up uh, a person to do his bidding. And when it talks about—this is a question I have for you—when it talks about the fact that it says uh, that uh, uh, the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus, I'm assuming that's referring back to the 144,000 that is going around doing ministry, uh, Jewish people who have come to faith in Jesus— those who are being tormented, those who are being, you know, mocked, all of them, again, Satan trying to to uh, eradicate their ministry. I'm really glad you said that, Chris, as, uh, again, what you did probably unwittingly was contextual interpretation. You're going back to the context of what you read, and instead of saying, you know, this verse isolated means to, you know what this means to me? No, you went right back to the 144,000 who were raised up, and that's the attack that's going to happen because they're having an effect on the world. They're reaching their own people and from every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue, so he is going to unleash his power against them. And now, as a result, verse uh, chapter 13, and I think maybe we should just open here, Steve, really quick, and then we can uh, uh, move on here, and we'll pick up in chapter 13 next week. It says, in chapter 13, verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast come out of the sea, it had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head is a blasphemous name. Uh, later on um, in, in the book of Revelation, we're going to see, again, uh, the, the, this is the picture of the Antichrist, 
Um, and later on, we're going to see a war that's going to be uh, brought at Har Megiddo. And the only reason I bring that up is because this Friday I'm getting on a plane and Jim Showers and I are taking almost 100 people to Israel, which I'm very excited about. I'm jealous. Uh, and uh, I'm jealous you're not going to be there. I'm upset you're not going to be there. But I'm, we're hoping maybe to try to do a Jew and Gentile podcast. It won't be the greatest of uh, quality, but something that we can bring we from the We got to do something, Chris. But, you know, you think about it. Back in Genesis, sin came into the world. So the sin that you have <clears throat> the sin of man ultimately producing the man of sin. That's right. Yes. It, it, it's getting close to the end here. As God is going to accomplish his purpose, sin comes into the world. We read all the scripture, and now here's the man of sin. He will encompass all, all the dastardly issues that man has had. He be all that. He's going to look great. Oh, he'll look great. But he is going to be as ruthless and as despicable as you can imagine. And what we're seeing, too, is that there are two persons. You know, we're talking about Satan's activities here. But there's two persons. There's the dragon. He's standing on the shore of the sea. And then out of that comes, what, a beast. And that beast is the Antichrist. So you have the dragon, who is probably more than likely a representation of or copy of the father, uh, Satan himself, and then his Antichrist, the his son, if you will, however you want to use the illustration, the idea that it comes from him. Now there's a second person. And later on we'll see another person in this a satanic trinity, if you will, of the 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 dragon, the beast, and the false Look prophet. Look at you with the heavy theology. I don't know way about to go, wait to go, Chris. <laughs> well, I learned from some of the best, and he's sitting across from me, the sage himself. All right. Well, listen, everybody. We'll pick up here in uh, Revelation chapter thirteen. Steve, was there something though? You you were preaching before. But you were preaching before we got on the podcast, and I thought, oh, that's good. Well, I, it's not unique to me. We're going to be talking about next week, and as you think of Satan, it's there's going to be a false religion. It's going to be a false religion. Anytime you have false religion, it's done by force. All these cults, they, they exude force. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that happened to me when I became a believer is, and, and, and many Jewish people are fearful of this, you're... You're gonna. You're trying to get me, and our history is that in the name of Jesus or in the name of Christianity, indeed, there were people going after Jews, trying to force them to uh, to be, to believe in Jesus, be mm -hmm. baptized, and all that. I, I remember my parents being so upset when I, I was I became a believer, and we were watching a, a documentary on the Moonies, and my mother said, "That's you," and the whole documentary was how they took the kids young kids away, how they isolated them, fed them rice only, and uh, nobody was allowed to visit them. So I said to my mom, I, I'm, I'm not, who's knocked down the door? Nobody's going after me. I'm, I'm here. Talk to me. I'm not isolated from you. Uh, I'm accessible. You could say anything you want. These Moonies, according to the documentary, they're, they're not allowed to see their parents, their loved ones. They're not allowed to do anything. Yeah. And because it's such a frustration. So we think of false religion, I think of force. What's true religion? Faith. Mm. We believe. We, we go back to the Abraham. Abraham believed God. Now, that turns people off, a lot of people off, not just when a Jewish person believes turning off other Jewish people. I'm telling you that Gentiles who believe in Jesus have their family reject them 
I've seen it happen in atheists. I've seen it happen in various of the isms, Protestantism, Catholicism, Mormonism. You name the ism. Faith in Jesus Christ turns other people off. Mm -hmm. So we believe you're saved through faith. We don't believe in force. The Antichrist is going you have you're going to have to have a certain insignia mm-hmm. on your head and on your wrist and it's you won't be able to do anything unless you bow the knee christianity isn't we want people to believe but we don't force people to believe we want them to believe by faith just like abraham he said you know what i'm 75 years old i got a family i got a history it's not easy See ya. Yep. God called me. I'm going. I don't even know where I'm going. Well, even Jesus, when he sent out the very first missionaries, the 12, as they're going around, he says, announce the kingdom is near. If they don't believe you, then shake the dust off your sandals and yes. bada bing, bada boom, get they out of there. They didn't have Yiddish, but he would have said fartic. But leave them alone. Just <laughs> move on. Right. Now, that was a big sign. When you shake the dust off your heels, that's judgment. That oh, means yeah. judgment's coming. But either way, it means, all right, I let I, you know. I'm moving on. I'm out of here. That's right. All right. That's well, right. we're out of here, too, for when it comes to teaching Revelation chapter 12 and starting chapter 13 but we do have some news steve and uh i, I kind of wanted to start you start us off which what are we talking about first well i think we should first start with heim topol oh because we on the did roof. it did you know i, I thought yep. we would loop ourselves I, bring it back let's bring back what uh emily stone was talking about there fiddler on the roof uh topol was 87 years old i remember that movie i oh he uh, I call it the Tevya syndrome. Uh, Tevya, why do we do what we do? I don't know. (laughs) And then they sing. That's that's like my life. (laughs) Ask my wife about singing. She just wonders. I sing for everything. (laughs) Everything. And what does he say? Hey, who day and night just struggles for a living, right? Yeah, that's keep going. No, no. Keep going. That's enough. I'm going to zoom in. Wait a minute. No, Hold no, on. no. We're going to lose our five no. left listeners. Keep, I have it solo on you right now. Go ahead. <laughs> who day and night just struggles for a living, feed a house of kids and eat your daily bread. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube the or Papa, Facebook, I have, Papa. <laughs> I have zoomed in on Steve. <laughs> Just for you to watch, and look, you almost kind of look like the you almost look like Heim Topol in there. If you look at the picture, look, he's you can see he's look at he's reaching out. out. He's saying, "This is killing me, my daughters. I got nothing." That's when he looked up. I'm actually confident. That's when he looked up and said, "Couldn't you have chosen someone else?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the very famous Heim Topol, the actor best known who played Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof, has died in Israel following a long illness. His representative confirmed to CNN Tuesday he was 87 he years was old. He was a great Tevya. He, he was. was just great. I've seen it in a number of plays. We went to Broadway and saw it, but I think he was the best. I mean, Zero Mostel, he was good, uh, but I like I like Topol. But. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu paid tribute to Topol on Thursday and conveyed his condolences, calling him a multifaceted artist with great charisma and energy. All right, Steve. So well, the, I have another one, Chris. Go ahead. Former baseball star Daryl Strawberry is now an evangelical preacher focused on promoting Israel. Now, you know, you got to be careful about celebrity believers. I mean, there's all kinds of stories. Uh, Daryl Strawberry was, I'm a baseball fan. He was amazing. He mm-hmm. was, but he had, uh, he, he lived a life with drugs and alcohol and lots of, Stuff that he shouldn't have been doing, which actually hurt his career. But, but Chris, he's already been a believer around nine years or so. 
and he's lived off off of the grid, so to speak. Mm -hmm. He's kept a low profile. And what's interesting, it says in 2018, one of the places turned out to be Israel, country he says knew nothing he knew nothing about until his years of religious study. Once I finally got there, it was like, oh my God, it is so beautiful. It's so amazing to be able to experience something that I've read so much about and be able to walk those grounds. Um, he talked about being born again, and he, he talked about his faith in Jesus, and he talked about the land of Israel and its significance. Chris, this is great because uh, this segues into something I've, I've all of a sudden become interested in uh, the World Baseball Classic, Israel. And of course, every team I root for, it's the kiss of death. Uh, and so I, I watched Israel beat Nicaragua. It was great. They won at the last, uh, the the last two innings. They won, and uh, the headline in uh, the New York newspaper was: uh, They start off by saying, uh, "Israel was down. It looked bad, but at the end they won." They say, "We're not talking about Passover. We're not talking about Purim. We're not even talking about Hanukkah. We're talking about the Israel baseball team." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they won, but now they've lost like four in a row. I think it's all over. Well, uh, we actually posted on our show notes a show called "Heading Home: The Tale of the of Team Israel." Um, it's a free uh, documentary. I yes, am assuming. it is. I, uh, it's I've great. not watched it yet, but I, you've watched it, and you have been an evangelist for this. Uh, I'm an evangelist for it. it. Was four years ago when they played. Uh, it shows how they put the team together, Chris. They're not is they're not technically Israelis. They're just no, Jewish. They're Jewish. They're none of them. Are, the goal is eventually for Israel to actually field a team of Israeli Jews. Uh, right now, they, according to the documentary, they had one baseball diamond that they were able to use. This is four years ago, uh, and but what was interesting is the the requirement was you had to be you had to have a relative who was Jewish or married. To a Jewish person, <laughs> so take even third party. Hey, you know the joke amongst Jews. Hey, let me tell you about. Uh, I'll sit down, uh, and you can have one sip of of drink while I tell you the history of Jewish athletes, <laughs> because that's all. You can't even have a whole drink. That's just right. a sip. It's the shortest <laughs> book ever written. But these guys were. It was great when it's just like our trip to Israel. They hadn't been there before. The camera shows their eyes. They're looking all around. It, it's an amazing documentary. I hope people see it. Well, the uh, the um, documentary, which is, I believe, called Heading Home, the Tale of Team Israel. If it's, if you like baseball, you'll love this. If you love Israel, you'll love this. Uh, the link on there takes you to the free uh, documentary that you can watch. And Steve, the, the last um, article that we have here is something very serious that I think is going to be a topic of conversation for the Jew and Gentile podcast in future weeks to come. But uh, Reuters reports that Iran and Saudi Arabia agreed to resume ties in talks brokered by China. Say that it brokered by who? Yeah, by China, which uh, is just uh, a, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know, many years, a couple years ago in 2020, the uh, Trump administration brokered uh, peace deals between Israel and several Arab countries, uh, which showed the influence of leadership in the Middle East. Well. Nothing's happened with America in the Middle East. In vacuum. Yep. There was a vacuum. Well, actually, something did happen in the Middle East. We pulled out of uh, of Afghanistan, which which many argue gave rise to Russia's confidence in being being able to go into uh, Ukraine. Um, and now, what's happening is that vacuum of power 
that we left has now given China the ability to walk right in and to say, let's see who we can make peace with here. And they're, you know, I don't know how much Saudis and Iranians are going to get along here, but since 2016, uh, they have not been talking with one another. They had no diplomatic relationships. And now China has stepped in and brokered a deal for peace, which will be interesting in how we understand Israel and how Israel relates with Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries as well. Chris, this is just the tip of the iceberg as America pulls out as a great influencer who's going to fill the gap. Not only do we see this, I think you'll see in the future Israel being looking for another partner as well, mm-hmm. as the United States has its own issues. We, Our government has chosen to focus on other things. You can fill in the blank, but foreign affairs is not our main thing. We're pulling away. That's that's what they're communicating. And now you see an example of Iran and Saudi Arabia working with China. You see already with Russia and Ukraine and all those things associated with it. And Israel, we're in the book of Revelation. We know that that happens when uh, a covenant is signed uh, as to give safety to Israel. Uh, and that has nothing to do directly with the United States. That has to do with a world, a world global power. Could be the United States as part of that, but they're not the main focal point. This is just the tip of the iceberg. The prophet Ezekiel said Jerusalem is the center of the earth. And you know what's amazing is that it really is the center. It stands in between, it sits in between the West and it sits in between the East. And the bridge. It's, it's a bridge. It's a bridge. And it's still, even as the the global powers have become much more intense, you know, since the biblical days. Here we are, we have the United States in the West, a global power, and China, a global power in the East. I know Saudi Arabia, and I know Israel as well. They have to think strategically because technically Israel is in China's continent. It's in the Asian continent. And so they have to think in Saudi Arabia, uh, Jerusalem, Riyadh, they all have to think strategically about how they play friends with the people around them. And so, but China has found the vacuum and moved right in and is making an influence and presence in the Middle East. We need, we're going to be talking about this for quite a while. All right, well, we need to rush here because Steve's got to get out in the next few minutes, but Yiddish word of the day. All right, Chris, I'm not giving the Yiddish word of the day because today you told me, Steve, I've got the Yiddish word for the day. The the, the Jewishy guy That's right. has the Yiddish word. Call me Chris Jewishison. What's his name? Jewison. Jewison. Okay, anyway, uh, the Yiddish word of the day, the Yiddish, Yiddish word of the day is Hegdish. Steve. Hegdish. Hegdish. It sounds like... Uh, I always say Yiddish... I, it sounds like a, something I get at a diner. Give I, me that Hegdish. Well, I always say to you a Yiddish word expecting you to go, oh, my mother would say... I uh, never... That, Hegdish? This, but you got... It sounds I don't know like a one. disease or something. Well, Hegdish means to rush around in a frantic manner. Ah, that I could relate to. <laughs> That's, right. That's a different story. Well, I can relate to it too. Hegdish, to rush around in a frantic manner. And I chose it because... At the end of Revelation chapter 12, Satan is struggling because if you remember, the Messiah was snatched up to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, and now he's rushing around frantically, trying to chase the woman, and the woman is protected, Israel's protected, so he's finding anybody he can in order to thwart God's plan. He's so hegdish. Satan is hegdish. He's hegdish. He's running around in a frantic manner because he knows it's a losing battle. So hegdish, Steve. Hegdish is the word. I like it, everybody. Well, listen, thank you so much. 
for joining us on the Jew and Gentile podcast, episode number 77. Listen, we've got a a great show coming up next week. We're going to continue our study on the book of Revelation. Don't you forget to go to foiequip.org. Make sure you watch Tom Simcox. Watch Tom Simcox because it's free, 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 free. Go to foiequip.org. Be sure to register for that class. And then our upcoming class in April uh, on Holocaust Remembrance with Ty Perry. And also... When you go to FOI Equip, keep a lookout, keep hitting refresh, because we're going to be uploading our spring and summer classes, Steve, all the way through August. We're going to have a great time. So, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.